Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. All right, so Christian Walk, week number two, walking today, walking in grace. Walking in grace. So last week we had a great journey through the first chapter of Ephesians, and we actually jumped into the third chapter to kind of pull this picture of unity, which really is the macro view of the whole book. It's based in the reality that Jesus wants to bring everything into unity. And uh, we talked about that, and we had a wonderful, wonderful service together last week. But I want to jump into chapter two, and I want to tell you that actually, for me, it is such a great privilege to preach this text. Um, Because really what I'm going to do is I'm just going to share the gospel with you. And I, I honestly, as I was writing the message, I was giddy. I was like, this is just so good. And so when I share this with you, I just want it to be life-giving. I want it to feel like, oh man, this, that explains things to me. I understand more. I feel freer in my, uh, my steps toward Jesus. I feel freer in my walk. And so that's the goal. But we have to start where Paul starts. And in fact, it's in the first verse that he brings up something that feels quite heavy to us if if we don't have the proper view on what he brings up. He brings up sin and transgression. Sin and transgression. And having those two words dropped on you in the first verse can, can honestly, it could be a little bit jarring and, and, and maybe even you want to put your guard up. But can I encourage you, just walk with me as we look at this. Let's walk together. It's called the Christian walk. Let's walk together through this and see the grace of God as it should be seen for us as Paul teaches us in chapter two of Ephesians. So he's talking to the Ephesians and these were people but didn't come from a Jewish background. They came from a place where, you know, they would have been influenced by Greek and Roman culture. And so he wanted to explain to them what was going on in their lives before they met Jesus. And now the change that's taken place in them that maybe they weren't even fully aware of now that they had started to follow Jesus. So that's really the point. So he starts chapter 2. This way, verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, I'll read the next verse too, and then we'll talk about these two verses together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. It was this feeling, uh, um, I'll explain that in just a minute. They used to live, you used to live this way when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying there was a way of life that you had that led you into death. It was really you were a walking dead person. And that is a pretty sad story. But basically he uses this term, you know, in chapter, in, chapter, in verse one, he says transgressions, and sins. Now let me explain to you what he means by that. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Transgressions is this Greek word, paraptoma. And this Greek word, paraptoma, literally means to fail in grasping or slipping away from truth. 
either failing to grasp truth or slipping away from it. So that's transgression. And then he also says, and, and sins. And this word, hamartia, it means, it's like a shooting term, actually, like for shooting an arrow or whatever. And it means to miss. That's basically what it, miss, what it means. It just means to miss. So I shot and I missed. And so you put those two things together and you understand he's talking about slipping away and missing the target. And so when you start to understand that, you go, oh, I, I can kind of see, even in my own life, where that makes some sense. And really, the truth is, is, is the context, the concept, the central idea is a failure to make life all that it could be or should be. And in truth, that's pretty universal, isn't it? There's times where we miss the mark on making life all that it could be and all that it should be. And so when we understand transgressions and sin that way, we understand how that can even play into our own lives. We aren't perfect. We miss the mark. We make choices we wish we didn't make. We do things that didn't lead us into truth, but led us into disappointment or, or if you will, failure or, um, or pain, right? And so when we start to understand what Paul is actually saying, we begin to see how it fits with us. It's universal. And that's why Romans 3 says that everybody has sinned. All of us have missed the mark. All of us have shot at a target and we were off. And so that's to be human, but it's also to understand that, you know, without Jesus, where does that lead us? It said, he goes into verse two and he says, you used to live this way. So he's talking to people that now no longer live this way. What is that way? Well, if you use the idea of transgression and sin, basically what he's saying is, man, you were living a life where you always felt like you were failing. Always felt like you were missing the target. Always felt like it just wasn't going right. Always feeling this way. You used to live that way when you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now that's a lot of, lot of words there, but basically what Paul is getting at is, listen, this isn't just you making decisions. There's spiritual dynamics going on. There's something, if you will, in the air and this, this, this was a common term in the ancient world. It's not very common for us. But basically what was being communicated here is you're not alone in this journey that makes you feel dead. There were spiritual elements going on that were really helping you go that way. And, and, and here's the problem for us today. Ancient cultures believed in the spirit realm. Our problem is we don't. Many people don't. That life is just what you see. That everything that we're experiencing is what's right here. And the truth is, there's more to life than just this life. And the reality here is this verse says that, that there is a, a kingdom, a ruler in the kingdom of the air. The spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, there was something going on in the air, if you will, in the spiritual world over Ephesus that was really helping these people walk into their death rather than into life. And so Paul brings this to their attention to say, listen, you didn't even know this stuff when you became a Christian, but this was the pattern of life before. And then he gets to verse three and he says, also, he says, all of us also lived among them at one time. He's saying like, I'm not saying you were that way and I wasn't. All of us 
lived this way at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. I mean, it was just the natural way of doing it. I'm living in this body. I do what this body wants. I follow its cravings. I do what the body desires to do. And then he says this, like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. And what he's getting at is what Romans 6 teaches us. Romans 3 teaches us that we've all sinned. Romans 6 teaches us that the wages, the the payment of that sin is death. And so Paul kind of kind of brings them right into this thing. Listen, this is how life looked. It was a life of death, following your cravings, following your desires, and, and, and these, these, these spiritual principalities, if you will, these, this kingdom that exists in the air is preying on those cravings and leading you into your flesh. And, and, and you're victimized by these thoughts, by these desires that were planted and promoted by these regional powers that were at work. Wow. Okay, some of you are going like, my head is spinning. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? But that's what Paul was helping them understand. Listen, I know you didn't even see this because Jesus was just so good to you and he just pulled you right out of it. But let me explain to you where you were. Because if you're really going to understand what I want to teach you, you just got to know that part of it. I mean, you were stuck. Like, it, you were stuck in a way you didn't even know. You were shackled with invisible shackles that were just part of the world and the culture that you lived in. You were just there. That was it. You were stuck. Paul says you were dead in this way of life. It's just the reality. And the truth is, missing the mark, our sin, our transgression, is deadly. That's the bottom line of it. I mean, the the longer we indulge in sin, the more we realize that sin kills your innocence. You can't unsee the things that you see. We can't undo the things of the past. And the reality is, is the further we go into this craving, if you will, this, this sense of gratifying my flesh, my desires, my thoughts, you can see where that might take you. It kills your innocence, doesn't it? But sin also kills your values. It's like an erosion process. You know, when you first engage with something that's just not right, you can feel almost horrified by it. Oh. But then over time, it becomes something, ah, I'm still not really happy with that. But, And then eventually, the conscience becomes seared, as the Bible says, and there's no problem with it. We just do it. And this is that death that, that Paul is talking about. And sin also kills your will. It's like, It's like the power of addiction. At first, you might do something because you want to, but eventually you can end up doing it because you have to. There's just no way around it. It's like you're stuck with it. And and I'm painting this picture because you have a rescuer. And sometimes I don't think we fully understand what we've been saved from. You see, I just have to say, I'm so thankful for Jesus. And when I think about the cross in light of this way of life that was common to us all, I am so thankful. I can see people in a hopeless cycle of brokenness and abuse. And, I, and it's why I believe in the message of the local church. It's why I've given my life to this. Because we have a message of eternal hope because of Jesus. And so we've done verses 1, 2, and 3. And let's get to verse 4. Because here's where Paul just turns on the light switch. And he says that, but because of his great love, God who is rich in mercy. 
made us alive with Christ when we were dead. (sighs) He changed the script, flipped it. It was one way and now it's another. Because of his great love, there's no other reason. There's no other reason for him to do this. God doesn't want something from you. He wants so much for you because of his great love. He pours out a rich mercy and and he makes you alive even though you were dead in this way of life that we just explained. And then here's the beauty, the, the massive beauty, the walking in grace moment. Here it is. It's by grace you have been saved. It's by grace that you have been saved. Wow. So thankful. I, I need to define the, the two terms that are here. Verse five, it, uh, into verse four, it says, you, God who is rich in mercy. And then in verse five, it says, he made us alive and by grace we have been saved. Mercy and grace, these two words are really special words because you have to almost put yourself in a courtroom to fully understand it. I'm in a courtroom and I, I'm begging for mercy. I've done wrong. And I'm begging for mercy. And mercy, when you understand it that way, it's really this. It's not getting what I deserve. That's what mercy is. I deserve judgment, but instead I get mercy. So because of his mercy, because he's not intending to give me what I deserve, I'm saved. I'm saved because he's merciful, and I'm saved through grace. So mercy is not getting what I deserve. And then on the flip side, grace is getting what I don't deserve. I didn't deserve grace, but he gives it to me. It's like I went to the carnival and I missed the target. I wanted the stuffy. I couldn't get the stuffy. I missed the target. But then the, the guy at the carnival, are they called carnies? Is that what they're called? The carny goes, here you go. You can have this. Makes no sense. And again, that's a silly analogy of something that's tremendous. I was dead and I deserved my death. But instead, Jesus said, I'm going to make you alive. I'm filthy and I'm dirty and my cravings and my depravity and my desires. And he goes, I'm going to wash you and I'm going to make you perfect in my sight. Like, Friends, that's the salvation we have. That's what we've been given in Jesus. It's grace that saves us. This grace saves us because it removes our shame. And Jesus comes and, and, and comes to us, even though we might feel estranged. He says, no, no, you're mine. And he removes the shame. In fact, that's what these crosses were about. These crosses are there, and you'll see paper scattered all over it, where people wrote down the things that they felt they felt trapped in in terms of shame and the things that they had done and, the, and they wrote them there and they ripped them up and threw them at the cross. Why? Because that's what the cross dealt with. The shame is gone. It removes our shame and restores our sensitivity to pleasing Jesus. We actually can grow back into a sense of great conviction, great ideals, deep values. And grace helps us do that. And grace revives our ability, our will to say no. I don't want that. I don't want that. It's not, it's not judgment that makes me do that. It's grace that makes me do that. Because look what Jesus has done for me. Why would I want to go back to that? 
It resets my will, revives my will. My will. So it removes my shame, restores my sensitivity, and revives my will. Grace frees me from being a slave. Can someone say hallelujah? <laughs> hallelujah. Ah, I just feel so thankful. Some of you are going, awesome, so how do I get this? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Uh, Paul then goes on into verse 8 to repeat himself. Because we just read in verse four, or verse 5 at the end, it's by grace you have been saved. And then he starts verse 8 by saying, for it is by grace you have been saved. He's repeating it for emphasis. Don't miss this part. It's by grace you have been saved. And then he adds through faith. Faith is belief. Belief in what? Belief in the grace. Belief. Isn't that a problem for us? I don't deserve it. It's impossible. God doesn't know what I've done. Actually, he does. <laughs> He knows exactly what you've done. And so where does this grace begin to take root? It's through faith. I have to believe that it's real. Believe in what? Believe the fact that this faith is not from me. I, this grace is not me. I don't generate it. I don't. How could I do that? It's a gift from God. So that's it. I believe that grace is a gift and I receive that gift. So that's my faith active here. And so there's no way to earn grace. You can't come to a place where you deserve it. It stops being grace. Do you understand? The whole point is you don't deserve it. That's the idea here. And here's why you can't earn grace. Because God is perfect and he requires perfection. And so God doesn't lower his standards even though we've lowered our practices. He keeps his standard where it is. And he says, you can't reach it, but Jesus did. And so the, God, is, God is faithful and just. He will not change. And so the standard remains. But he says there's a lack between where you are and where that standard is. And that's Jesus. Jesus took care of all of that. See, by, by nature, people are imperfect. We cannot do what's perfect. And so man is always to be the, the receiver and God the giver. That's why grace has to be a gift. You see, when we sin, as I mentioned, fail to make life what it could and should be, shame immediately comes. We talked about shame for just a moment before, but I want to go back to that. And shame, we say this in our Freedom Conference. We talked about it yesterday. Shame is like a cloud a cloud that kind of comes over. You can even have dealt with it, with God, but you can still feel shame. And the enemy loves that shame because what that shame does is that it, it, it makes you feel like what you need to do is you gotta fix it. I feel ashamed still, so I gotta do something that fixes it. And so what happens then is you start to do works. You start to work to try to figure it out. How can I make this right? How can I fix it? But here's the deal. You can never do enough. You can never pray enough. You can never serve enough to fix your own sin. And so what that does is it just leads you into more shame. And the enemy laughs. He loves it. But grace is a gift. And verse 9 says it's not by works so that no one can boast. So get out of that cycle. Free yourself from it. Because God is perfect. He requires perfection. It has to be Jesus. It can't be you. You can't fix it. Let God. Let God fix it. That's why we're here today. Because we believe that that's what God does. He fixes the broken places in our lives. You also, you can't earn grace because God is love. And when we sin, friends, although I'm not trying to create condemnation. I just want a clear picture for you. When we sin, it's a crime against that love. 
God loves us. So sin is not so much breaking God's law as it is breaking God's heart because of how he loves you. And so when the, give you a kind of a, a lower example, it's not as clear and beautiful as the one I'm sharing because there's nothing like Jesus. But when the drunk driver through his, his foolishness strikes the child and kills the child, that drunk driver could be, you know, arrested and prosecuted, convicted and put in prison. Could write letters all the time asking for forgiveness. You know, he could write letters to the mom of that child. But how many, how many of you know that there is nothing that that drunk driver can do to make right what was wrong? All the time in prison, all the bondage, anything that he could do to, you know, self-deprecate or to beg. The only thing that could be done for that man is the mother's act of free forgiveness toward him. It's the only thing. He'll never earn it. And that's a, a lower example of this higher example. But it is true for us as well. When you see it that way, we cannot make ourselves right in God's sight. It's only an act of God's free gift of forgiveness because of his grace. And that's why these crosses are so important. And that's why they're here today. Because I want you to see that image of the cross of Christ. And I love this concept of God doing all the things that we can't. He does all the heavy lifting. He provides the way. He is the one who works the works of the cross. He's the one that outpours forgiveness. And this theme continues in Ephesians 2. And let me take you now to this next text, which in my opinion is a huge discipleship text. And don't divorce anything I'm about to say from where we've been. This is all part of the grace story. And not only does God save us, but... He, he, his grace does more. And here's what verse 6 says. And, I love that, and. Yes, he saves us when we were dead in our sins. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us, get this, with him in heavenly realms. There's no second-class citizens here. He puts us in a heavenly place. He seats us there. Why? In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Wow. Wow. That clock says I'm out of time, but I don't believe it. It's lying. <laughs> I got more to say. Wow. How can God be so good to us? How is it that he can be so loving? Not only does he do all the work, not only does he wash us and cleanse us and free us and give us life when we had death, and not only does he save us, but then he says, come here. Sit with Jesus in a heavenly place. I know you're still on earth, but guess what? You may not understand this because you're still on earth, but you are seated with Christ in a heavenly place. Come up here with Jesus. And I just want you to see the posture. It's seated. Which is so important, you know, how we were talking about shame and works and all that. It's so important to realize that what Paul says is, listen, you know where you start 
When you accept the free gift of salvation, you start seated. Not working, not effort, not figure it out, fix it. Seated. It's done. It's finished. Sit down with Jesus. I, I can't even begin to tell you how important that is because we have to be before we do. We can't add to this grace. It's not by works so that no one gets to boast, even if you wanted to. You can't boast in this. It's, you got to go back to the creation story to fully understand this because God worked first built the whole universe and, and the planet that we live on, and then what does it say? Then he rested. And, and, and the truth is, when you understand the New Testament, you understand what Jesus did for you, you don't start working and then rest. You start resting and then you work, which makes all the difference because my seated position forces me to say, this is the grace of God, not my works. I just have to sit here and accept that Jesus has done it all. But there's more to the story than that, and that's what really gets fun. But can I just encourage you, stop trying to work first. Some of you just deal with shame and guilt, and you're suffering with some sin, and you just keep kind of going back to the same thing, and I'm going to do better, and I'm going to fix it. I got to get this done. I got to get this right. You're not God. God fixes it. We receive more grace. We understand grace, and that grace rescues us. And more than that, our, that grace resets us and restores us, changes our longings and desires as we understand that grace more. You see, I, I want to talk to you about Sabbath, which is really important to me. My Sabbath interrupts my week. <laughs> I get to my Sabbath day, which for me is like Friday night to Saturday night. I get to that Sabbath time and there's always work to be done. Every week, there's something more to do. And, but I choose to rest. And the reason why is because I choose to say, God, you're the God of this universe, not me. You're the one who keeps working, even when it's night, even when I'm sleeping, even when I'm resting, you're working. And it's grace, it's your grace, I need your grace. If I'm gonna preach well on Sunday, I need your grace. I could work all weekend. And make, the, and, and, you know, make the message just perfect. Or I could lean into your grace and say, Lord, there's always more work to do, but I trust you. Anoint your servant. Use me. And I want you to know that what can happen to us is we can look at this as our Sabbath is the end of our week. Like we've done all of our effort and now we're exhausted and we flop down. <laughs> but why don't you flip that? Flip the script in your own thinking. Start with the rest. That Sabbath, whether that, for many of you, that might be today, which is awesome. Sabbath is where I begin my week, not end it. And just flipping that in your thinking changes the way you look at yourself versus God. God works and then rests. I rest and then work. And I work out of that rest. That's a concept that I can't even fully unpack. But let me just say, not only does Jesus save us, not only does he raise us up and seat us in heavenly places, then we get to verse 10 and we learn that he assigns us a unique purpose. Each one of us a unique purpose. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork. We're his handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, did you notice that the word works does show up? It's kind of cool. 
It, doesn't, it didn't show up in the thing that saves you, but it shows up in the thing that flows out of you being saved. And this is so important. I rest first. I receive grace first. I'm seated with Jesus first. And then I do good works, the works that his grace has already produced for me and provided for me a path that's unique to me. And I get to find this beautiful place of working with Jesus. So did you catch that? We're God's handiwork. God's already designed the work ahead of time. We just kind of get to do it. We get to do it. And so why are we so worked up? Why are we so unsettled? Don't disconnect this verse from grace. Even your work flows from the grace of God. So here's the paradox. All good works in the world can't put us right with God. Yet there is something fundamentally wrong with a follower of Jesus who doesn't see the value in doing good works. Do you feel that paradox? Because that's really what's being described here. There are good works to be done, but those works are not attached to God's favor and love in your life. They actually flow out of it. He loves you so much that he also gives you something to do because he knows you need to be productive. You need to be productive for him, but your productivity does not save you. It cannot save you. So grace is free, but the outworking of grace, there's a cost. And that cost we pay alongside of Jesus. Don't empty grace of its motivation. Oh, I've received so much, I just wanna give. I'm so blessed, I wanna give. That's the motivation that comes from grace. I have good works to do that God prepared in advance for me and I want to do them and I've been perfectly made for them. You know what this is called? This is called your grace lane. Like God put you in a certain space. He puts you in that lane and you do it. It's like we talk about it in Grow Track, which is our on-ramping to serving uh, kind of process. We talk about it and we say, when you find that grace lane, you say, I'm good at this and I love it. That's the grace lane. There's a place for you to serve in the grace lane where God has just made you for that. It just makes sense and it just works. It's you being his handiwork. It fits, it's right, and it's beautiful. And that's what we're looking to help you discover. So as I close, and I really should close, um, I wanted to just give you this analogy of two ways of being a disciple of Jesus. Because there's probably more than that, but I'll just give you these two because it really fits with what we're talking about. On one hand, you have one disciple, his name is Peter. And on the other hand, you have another disciple named John. And they have such a different approach to Jesus. If you kind of get to the end of the storyline, you, if you read the book of John in particular, you'll find that John over and over again calls himself the one Jesus loves. That feels like grace to me, eh? But on the other side, you have Peter. And Peter promises Jesus that he'll do the right thing. I'll get it right. I won't deny you, even if everybody else does. I'll stand with you. I'll go to the cross with you. I'll die with you. And so Peter based his relationship with Jesus on the things that he intended to do for Jesus. And he failed. But John, John based his relationship with Jesus on the fact that he loves me. 
can just receive that love. I'm the one Jesus loves. And you know, he was there at the cross. John was there to the very end. So listen, if you, if you really want to have this joyful freedom in your walk with Jesus, if you really want to understand the translation from death to life, if you want to be free from shame and walk in the grace of God, just lean back on Jesus. Just lean back on him. Receive his love. Receive salvation. Receive the fact that you're seated in a place you do not deserve to be seated. And then whatever you do, let it flow from the joy of being so loved by your Father through his Son, Jesus. Pray with me. So Lord, I just believe there's a cry in each of our hearts today to say thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the way your grace flows right through our lives. And Lord, we want to receive that. Maybe there's someone here today who really just needs to understand the love of Jesus for themselves. I just pray that you would flood them with your grace today. I pray that there would be those who are able to see, man, my life has been a life that's been about cravings and about desires and thoughts of my own. And, and boy, I think maybe I'm living that dead life. And what I need is I need the life of Jesus Maybe even you're here right now and you just say, Jesus, I want your life. Thank you for your grace. I receive you. I know it's a free gift, so I take it today. It's for me and I receive it now. Maybe for others of us here, we're having to say, Lord, I, ah, boy, my relationship with you has been a lot like Peter's. I've wanted to get it right and I haven't got it right. Or There's been times where I felt like I've got it right and then I'm full of pride or at least full of a sense of good. Now, I, now I've done what I should. Lord, I pray that you would help us to move from Peter's perspective to John's joy. Lead us there, Lord. We lean back on you. Yeah, Lord, we lean back in the loving arms of our beautiful Savior because you love us and we receive that love now. It is grace that saves us through faith and then we work with joy in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.